The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. The Explorers podcast is sponsored by RM Capital, a provider of specialist small to mid-cap corporate advisory and boutique wealth management services. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garam Pera columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we are back in the WA Goldfields where we are going to catch up with Miramar Resources. Miramar joined the list in October 2020 in an $8 million IPO with some interesting ground positions in the Eastern Goldfields, the Murchison and the Gascoigne. The code is a groovy M2R and it is trading at 22.5 cents for a market cap of about 12 million. So there's obviously a lot of leverage there to exploration success. Listeners might know that Miramar has been attracting attention recently on the strength of exploration results at its Marlebone prospect on the doorstep of Kalgoorlie, part of its strategically located Gigi joint venture ground in the eastern goldfields. It could well be onto a large discovery, which is quite remarkable given, as I said earlier, it's on the doorstep of Kalgoorlie and because the likes of KCGM and goldfields over the years had previously sniffed around the area. We have Miramar's executive chairman and substantial shareholder, Alan Kelly, with us today to bring us up to speed on the excitement over the project and what is happening at the other projects that the company brought to the market last year. So with that, I'm going to say, g'day, Alan. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for your time today. Yeah, g'day. Thanks, Barry. Now, Alan, uh, I think we first met up in 2010 when you were floating uh, Dore, which went on to uh, great success. But for those who might not uh, be aware of uh, your background, it would be great if you could give us a feel for your professional background. Yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, I'm a Perth boy. I'm a geologist. I've been in the, in the uh, mining industry for getting on to 30 years now. Um, spend most of my time in Australia, a little bit in North America. Um, the first sort of seven years of my career was with Western Mining, where I got some really great experience in gold and nickel exploration and a little bit of IOCG as well. Um, I was also with Avoca when they floated um, and did sort of IOCG exploration in South Australia. And then in 2009, as you said, I put together Dore Minerals with some ground in the Murchison um, and South Australia that I'd worked on previously. Um, Soon after listing, we made the discovery at Andywell, uh, took that through to production in about three years, very high grade, low cost project, and then did a takeover of a company called Mutiny Gold, who had a, a, a similar high grade project called Deflector, and built that. And then um, after sort of seven years at the helm at Dore, I decided I wanted to go back to exploration again. Um, so I had a couple of, had a bit of a break and then um, started putting together the Miramar projects and we're getting on to about a year now since listing of Miramar. Right, so there we go. A geologist at heart, one who likes to be out in the ground finding things. And um, you forgot to mention on the way through there that you were the 2014 AMIC Prospector of the Year Award. What was that for? That was, that was for uh, Andy Well, was it? Yeah, that's right. That was uh, Heath and myself uh, got that award for the discovery at, at Andy Well. Um, uh, and I guess it's probably similar to Miramar. You know, there was a, a project uh, that had been previously looked at by a big company. Um, at the time, they sort of set their economic hurdle quite high, um, so walked away from it. We did the deal with Dore, 
had a different mindset on what would be economic for a company of our size, had some different ideas about the geology and the orientation of the structure. And so the project went from being, you know, potentially a big, low-grade, open-pitable thing to a small, uh, smaller, narrow-vein, high-grade deposit. And, um, yeah, so we were recognised with that award in 2014. And that was a great honour. Yeah. Well, I think about it, it was one of the first... Um... Uh, pre- prior to that, there was the market only cared about ten years uh, production profile, low grade. Whereas uh, at Andy Well, you kind of switch the market onto you don't need to be mining half of WA to have a good gold mine on your operation. High grade was the secret. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, yeah, as you, as you said, like everyone wanted uh, you know a million ounces, ten year mine life, hundred thousand ounces a year production. And they wanted to find it, um, you know, from surface with the first drill hole. Um, you know, there's a lot of that going on in West Africa where you could you could drill out two or three million ounces from surface uh, with sort of air core and RC drilling. But Andy Well was a different style. It was more like the, the Great Fingal, uh, Norseman, um, and even things like Bellevue now where they sort of mm. revealed themselves a bit more slowly because you, you're drilling deeper with diamond drilling um, and you don't really know how much you've got until you've sort of, you know, got in, got actually in there and started mining it. Right. Okay. Our timing couldn't be better because uh, just today you've announced some interesting results from Albalone, uh, Phase three air core drilling program, including one metre at 6.9 grams a tonne from 48 metres and three metres at 2.6 grams a tonne from 45 metre in a different hole. What do you think you're onto there? Well, the target... The target at, at, at Gigi has always been um, something within this the Barara Shear. So the Barara Shear is a major regional structure that starts down to the southeast of us. There's a couple of deposits called Golden Ridge and, and Barara, where Horizon are doing some good work. And then it comes up through our project, does a bit of a, a jog, a bit of a flexure, and then continues up to the north and where you see Paddington and Panglo, and then if you keep going further north, that you see the Bardock deposits up there. So the idea was you've got a major regional structure with some nice geology, um, and there was a lot of potential there because the you know the previous drilling had been shallow and wide space. So we went in there initially looking at at this Brarish here where this jog was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a lot of good historical drilling to go on. But there was a line of three RC holes at Marlebone. Um, they were shallow, only got down to about 70 or 80 metres. And the best one of them was four metres at 0.8. Um, so we went out there with the first air core program. It was quite wide space, 400 by 100. And we, we got a few hits, but the best hit we got was a, a two metres at seven gram hit right up dip from, sorry, down dip from that uh, RC hole. Now, there was some alluvial gold, so we weren't quite sure whether it was in the basement or not, but it was mm-hmm. definitely worth following up. So we, we infilled that um, with some drilling and we started to get some, you know, sort of one to two gram hits. And then the third phase drilling, which we announced um, on the first day of diggers, we started to really see coherent four metre at plus one gram hits over, you know, multiple sections and giving us some sort of lateral extent as well. Mm-hmm. When we, when we started looking at the geology and the structure and the scale, the, the closest analogy that we could see was Paddington. And obviously that made sense because it was just a long strike. 
And Paddington, you know, you're going, going back here, but Paddington was found in the late 80s. Um, it was a, you know, a deposit that produced about 4 million ounces over its life um, through Barrack and Goldfields. This is the old Goldfields, not the, mm. the current Goldfields, and Pancon. Um, so significant deposit, close to surface, and, and all the sort of signatures look very similar to what we started to see at Marlebone. And there were a couple of key things that we picked up on as well. Um, at, at Paddington, there's a 30-metre depletion zone which sits over the top of the deposit. So you've got a 30-metre zone that's basically barren. Mm. You've then got a supergene zone where you get supergene enrichment sort of from about 30 to 60 metres. And then you sort of get this transition zone where you go into the, 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 the hard rock. And then the primary, the primary mineralisation starts at about... 70 or 80 metres, but it's a, it's a, a thin dolerite unit that's sandwiched in between some ultramafic units. It's not very big. It's only sort of about 30 to 40 metres across. And as we started to do more and more work at, at, at uh, Marlebone, we started to realise that this was really, really, you know, reminiscent of what, what you see at um, Padding. So all the ingredients were there. And as we've, as we've done each sort of successive phase of air core, the numbers have got stronger. They've sort of drawn us more up to the northwest um, mm. to where the, the results are from today. And we're really now pretty clear about the geology that we see and that geology that we see at, at Marlebone mirrors Paddington and the best results we get are uh, related to these dolerite units that sit in the same position as Paddington and also another deposit called Panglo. So, you know, we're in a great position and we're starting to see something really build. The results I just read out before, were they in the super gene? Yeah, they're, they're in they're this transition zone. So what you get, which complicates things where we are, is there's a significant layer of paleo channel material and, and sort of transported material. So you've got these paleo channels, which are ancient river channels mm. that have come across and stripped off the weathered material that you'd normally see across the Yulgarn, and you've got paleo channel sands and gravels sitting pretty much straight on top of only slightly weathered basement. So we have to always be careful when we're looking at the gold numbers, whether we're sort of in this base of the paleo channel or the top of the weathered basement. And there's a combination of both. And the key sort of discriminators that we use are what we call pathfinder elements. And the most commonly used one is silver. And anyone that knows about alluvial gold knows that sort of the primary gold normally has a relatively high content of silver, but as the gold gets moved down a river channel or down a paleo channel, that silver disappears. Mm -hmm. So that's why you'll normally see when we put out our results, we always sort of, if there's significant silver, we would put a significant silver number in there because that means that we're looking in the basement and not in the, in the, in the channel itself. So we've got a, we've got a combination of both. Um, uh, and also other elements we look at are things like arsenic and moly and antimony and bismuth and things like that. And they tell you that you're um, close to the, the bedrock source. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that's a key thing to sort of keep an eye on. Yeah, okay. So I guess the big question is what's the forward program from here? Yeah, so the drilling is still, you know, even though we're down to, you know, 200 by 50, that's still pretty wide given that the... Um, the, the bedrock footprint of Paddington is only sort of 30 to 40 metres across. 
Um, our drill spacing, we've used the historic drill lines that were there as a, as a guide for our current drilling. So our drill spacing is down to about 250 by about 50. So I'd probably like to do one more infill with the line spacing and get it down to about 100 metres. Mm -hmm. um, and then once we've done that, if it all sort of hangs together, the next step is to get the RC rig out and drill underneath those air core hits and get into the basement and, and have a look at the actual bedrock fresh material and, and see, see what we can find there. Um, the footprint itself is still not closed off yet. That's the other issue that it's open to the northwest. And we just announced last week that we've got a number of tenements granted to the northwest. They were always in the IPO, but they were just applications. Yeah. And it's taken the best part of 12 months to get those tenements granted. So we want to um, see what's a long strike to the northwest before we. Uh, I guess go too hard on the bedrock drilling because we, you know, we want to make sure we're testing the best part of the the target with the with the RC drilling. The footprint itself uh, currently extends for more than uh, 1.9 kilometres, apparently. So you're not short of uh, ground to go uh, looking for. Um, no, no, that's um, right. So, and and again, if you draw the analogy with Paddington, the pad the footprint of the Paddington pit, which was actually two deposits, Paddington one and Paddington two. Um, sort of cross-cut by this north-south fault. The footprint of that pit is about 1.1, 1.2 kilometres. Okay. So we've got about, you know, 1.9 k's of, of all-grade gold, even though it's, you know, super gene gold. It's, you know, we get hits up to sort of six and seven grams there. But um, it's still not, it's not still not closed off. It's, it's closed off probably at the south and eastern end, mm -hmm. but it's not closed off at the northwestern end. So we want to, we want to, um, probably see if we can close that off first and work out where the best part of the, uh, the target is to drill before we start spending bigger dollars on RC and diamond drilling. But that, that will be really the, the turning point for this um, target will be going from that air core gold anomalism into bedrock intersections. Now, we've mentioned Paddington quite a few times, as you, you suspect we would, it formally announced uh, production history. What's its status nowadays? Uh, it's basically filled up with tailings. So mm. um, it was mined out, I think it finished in, in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. uh, maybe late 90s. And uh, it's basically the closest pit to where the Paddington Mill is that's operated by Norton. Mm -hmm. So they use it as a, uh, an in-situ tailings um, uh, storage facility now. Mm. So you can't even go there and have a look at the geology. So you have to you know, find old pictures and stuff to, to see, see what it looks like. Fortunately for us, there's a couple of really good um, papers that were written on the Barara shear and all the deposits along that shear. So it clearly shows the geology and the steep dipping laminated veins and some flat veins and things, but that's just sitting there now full of tailings. Don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but uh, there, the big hungry mill at Paddington still exists, yeah? Oh, yeah. No, we're, we're in a great location. So the, the strategy behind... Miramar, um, you know, even though I built two mines, uh, really my passion is going out and finding things. So the strategy behind Miramar was to get really good projects in well-serviced areas. So, mm -hmm. you know, close proximity to existing mines and processing plants. And Gigi obviously, you know, fits the bill there. So, you know, within 50 k's of us, we've got the Fimiston Mill at KCGM, we've got Canana Bell, we've got Paddington, we've got Evolution, 
And if you go f- further north, like I said, the, the Bardock guys are going to get themselves up and running as well. So the whole objective would be to drill something out, find you know find a, a new ore body, and then work out the best way to monetize it for the shareholders, whether that's doing something ourselves or a mining JV or toll treatment or whatever. But it wouldn't make any sense to to build a new processing plant. So as you said, don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I think there's there's definitely opportunity for us to do some sort of mining deal like that if we find something that's uh, economic. Now, mm. uh, um, might sound like a strange question given the proximity to Kalgoorlie, but what is access like to the property? That's oh, great. We we got the the Goldfields Highway runs right through the middle of the project. So, um, okay, yeah, it's uh, you know, someone said to me, "Oh, you don't like going far from the highway," and I said, "Yeah, well, it's just the way it worked out." But uh, those people that know Andy well know that it was on the highway, and we actually had to put a bit of a diversion in the highway around the part of the pit. So, now we can basically drive out from town on the bitumen. Um, and the project sort of goes across the highway at an angle. So the southern bit's on the right-hand side of the highway and the, and the northern half is on the left-hand side of the highway. Well, he's hoping it ends up being big enough to uh, force a diversion of the highway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Now, um, given the results you're getting and the potential we're talking about here, have you got the funds uh, required to drill as aggressively as you would like to? Uh, yeah, at the moment we do. Yeah, we so we had a really successful IPO um, when we when we put together the prospectus and that. Um, initially, when I went and saw the, the stockbrokers, I said, "Oh, I wanted to raise four to six million. I thought that was a reasonable amount, and they they were pretty excited about the project. So they said, "Oh, we think we can get you eight million. So mm-hmm. we, I said, "Okay, well, let's do eight million. Um, the, our timing was a year ago, pretty much now. Um, and our timing was perfect. There'd been a big hiatus after COVID um, right. hit, but we were one of the first IPOs, I think, to get off the ground after everyone sort of shut down. Um, and we got our money. I think we had about $20 million worth of bids for $8 million, and it was open and shut in a couple of hours. Mm. So we, you know, we, we listed, and it, and it was pretty overwhelming, actually. When we, when we opened on day one, the share price went from $0.53 cents up to $0.59. Cents. For a twenty cent IPO, so it was, it was quite amazing. Mm. Um, having said that, you know all the work we've done so far, we've done a lot of drilling. We've still got about four million dollars in the bank, right. so that's you know that's quite a few air core holes and RC holes that we can do before we need to um, yeah. you know go back to anyone with cap in hand. So um, you know the whole, whole idea is about creating value through discovery. You know. We, we hope that if we can get some bedrock hits that show that this is a real um, proposition, that that will push the price up and enable us to go back to, you know, raise money at a better price. Um, yeah. But, you know, having said that, right now we don't need any money. We've got plenty of uh, work to do and we can do that with the money we've got in the bank right now. And just touching on the, uh, the Murchison and the Gascoigne, uh, what's the activity levels there? Yeah, we should talk about Glandor probably is the second one. We've just, we've just actually finished our first lake drilling campaign at Glandor, and Glandor is, is as good if not better than Gigi. It sits about 40 k's east of Kalgoorlie. Um, it's mostly on a lake. It's about eight kilometres north of where Black Cat are about to build a mill. 
Okay. And it's it's characterised by some mafic rocks that have been intruded by granite. And the geology there looks very similar to things like Majestic, which was a Silver Lake deposit that uh, they mined, and Trojan. Um, and there's some really nice historical diamond hits, things like six metres at 29 grams per tonne um, on the lake. And they've never been followed up. Um, so we've just done our first air core program there. We're seeing some really interesting looking rocks and lots of quartz veining and sulfides. So probably be waiting about four to five, maybe six weeks for assays from that. But then we want, what we want to do is basically sort of tic-tac between Gigi and Glandor um, and work out, you know, which one's sort of going to give us the best opportunity for a discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Murchison's sort of on the back burner a little bit at the moment, but we have done some work up in the Gascoigne. Uh, we did some MMI sampling up at a project called Whale Shark, and we announced some really interesting anomalies that look very similar to what uh, Greatland saw over the Javieron deposit before they made the discovery there. Mm-hmm. And I've also got a few projects up in the Bangamore uh, that are really interesting for nickel, copper, and PGE, similar to the sort of model that Chalice used to make the discovery there. Um, one in particular we announced some information on a few weeks ago, a place called Dooley Downs, where I found an old uh, EM data set where there's some really nice uh, late-time EM conductors. And there's some historical rock chips that have got copper mineralisation and sulphides, but no sign of any nickel or PGE assay. So I'm going to see if I can get on the ground up there before it gets too hot and have a bit of a snip around and see if there's any outcropping gossens or anything there as well. All right, Alan, um, you've given us a great rundown there. So just bring it all together for investors. What should they be looking out for before the year's out? Uh, we've still got a few results trickling from Gigi um, from some um, holes that sort of sit around the margins of Marlebone. So they, hopefully they're not too far away. And then the next big, I guess, new thing will be the first lot of results from Glandor. Uh, this is a big target, um, similar scale and opportunity to Gigi. So given what we've seen on the ground, we think there could be some nice uh, numbers that come from that project as well. So. The labs, people have got to be patient with all explorers at the moment because mm. the labs are really flat out in WA. You know, assays that would normally take two weeks are, are coming back in sort of six or seven or eight weeks. So people just got to understand that, you know, um, that that's the situation at the moment. But that the next news flow, hopefully, from us is is that big set of results that come out from Glandor and then we should be up back on the ground drilling uh, towards the end of October, early November. Excellent. Yeah, I often wonder how many quote-unquote discoveries uh, are locked up in labs at the moment. Um, but we'll see that. We'll they'll see the light of day at some point. And as you say, it just requires a bit of patience at the moment. For you, it actually gives you a bit of think time too, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, we're a very small team at the moment. We don't have many arms and legs in the office, so mm-hmm. um, it gives us a chance to sort of sit down, work through the data, and plan up the next programs before the before the results come back. Okay, Alan, thanks for the rundown. Uh, exciting stuff. Um, pure exploration in WA, nothing better. Um, plus that uh, that mention there of the uh, potential nickel leak up in the guest point. So we'll be watching with interest as it all unfolds, mate. So good luck with it all. Great. Thanks a lot, Barry. Cheers. This episode of the Explorers podcast was sponsored by RM Corporate Finance, an active participant in emerging companies around the globe.